Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Down the Line. I'm Brevin Honda, alongside my co-host, Kyle Betts. It's the evening of May 26th, Thursday here this week. It's about 8.30, 8.30 p.m. here on the West Coast. How are you doing, Kyle? Yeah, I'm doing great. Like you mentioned, say 30. I don't think we've ever recorded this late before, but I like it, man. I, I like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of recapping this day that we had in sports. Mm-hmm. And then I know that we're going to, you know, kind of preview this weekend that's going on within the world of sports as well. We got a lot to talk about that's happened within the past week as well. So um, it should be a great weekend. Obviously, we have um, baseball still going on full swing. We're going to have some NBA to talk about here as well and then also one thing that we're not going to talk about but something I'm looking forward to watching this weekend is for sure the Champions League final that's going to happen uh, Saturday at noon so Real Madrid Liverpool that's the event I'm looking forward to mostly this weekend but I know that we're going to get into some NBA some MLB as well to start so I'm really looking forward to this episode. Uh, it's also a big hockey weekend as well. Yeah. Eastern, uh, conference finals continue on. Uh, we're going to talk about some celebrity golf going on. One day celebrity golf going on next week out in Las Vegas. But let's get right into it with some uh, Major League Baseball. And we had a little skirmish going on at Yankee Stadium this past weekend between a couple of infielders between the New York Yankees and the Chicago White Sox between Yankees third baseman Josh Donaldson and White Sox infielder Tim Anderson. Um, Josh Donaldson was suspended one game for comments directed at Tim Anderson, calling him, quote unquote, Jackie as a, uh, yeah. as what Donaldson called an inside joke. And also we saw uh, White Sox catcher Gazmani Grandal get in Josh Donaldson's face. I think this was on Saturday. Right. This was Sunday. I think it was game one of the doubleheader on Sunday which led to a benches clearing incident. Yeah, this is a situation that I I personally kind of picked up after it happened on social media, I began to see it. And this is obviously an issue that you just can't have in, you know, not only in baseball, but just in our society today. Obviously he said Donaldson, I should say, he said it was an inside joke between the two and Anderson never, you know, took that lightly or anything. And here you finally see, you know, the result of Donaldson calling Tim Anderson Jackie. I mean, obviously, there has been so much discussion in this country in recent years regarding race. And, you know, what can we do to, you know, make these relations better? What can we do to build a better America? And for Donaldson to, you know, obviously, Tim Anderson is a fantastic player, but Um, to compare him or or to even call him someone who you know had such an influence in terms of the color barrier and just in terms of race relations in this country in general that is obviously out of pocket and um, the bench clearing incident what was said on social media what was said by other MLB players obviously it was necessary it had to happen and for Donaldson to go ahead and issue the apology obviously that was necessary um even though it is an inside joke and, you know, Tim Anderson is one of the more electrifying, you know, African-Americans in this game right now. um, That is just a phrase that should not be welcome in our society. So um, obviously he's learning from that Donaldson with the apology to not only Anderson, but uh, Robinson's family today, which I saw, I I thought that was appropriate. Um, 
So obviously you don't want to see that go down in the game of baseball where, um, you know, a legend like Jackie Robinson, his influence of the game is, is brought up in that instance. That's just out of pocket is really the only thing I could say. Yeah. I think it's just the way the white Sox took it was just a negative, just a negative connotation. And I think, right. Right. And you think about in terms of what happened on the baseball field between these two teams, obviously we know what happened at the field of dreams with, uh, I think it was Tim Anderson getting a walk-off home run. Yeah. Out in Iowa last year. Uh, I know Josh Donaldson applied a hard, hard tight earlier between these two teams when they played. And this is also a White Sox team that you can kind of say they've been underachieving so far. A little bit. Uh, yeah. Just just a game over 500. So the tensions have kind of been boiling for this White Sox team and then just kind of uh, reached that point um, with those comments from Josh Donaldson. Yeah, I think, you know, the the history between Donaldson and Anderson as well. I mean, this is not the first time Donaldson has said that to Anderson. I mean, obviously going off from the stance of, oh, it's an inside joke, quote unquote. So, um, you know, regardless of if it's an inside joke or not, I mean, to, you know, say that during a baseball game, you know, to, to an opponent, obviously – he's not going to take that lightly. I, I'm sure most people wouldn't, especially given the context. So um, I think, you know, this was made a big deal over social media, you know, as a result of, you know, me seeing that on Twitter this weekend, you know, kind of thinking about it a little bit, um, you know, that, that stuff is just not welcome in our society nowadays. I, I feel like we should have progressed long ago from kind of making jokes like that. Um, and then obviously, with the apology, hopefully Donaldson has learned from it. We're able to move forward from this. We don't experience anything like that in our game, you know, going forward. But obviously this was a big deal within, you know, the baseball and sports world this week. Think about um, the Yankees. They're one of the top teams in baseball. Uh, we mentioned Donaldson. He was suspended for one game, was also a fine and undisclosed amount. But you think about this Yankees team and where they're at in the standings. They got the best record in baseball. They're 32 and they're 13 right now. We just passed about the quarter quarter century mark to this season, about 25% of the way through. And that got us thinking, you know, who are the top five teams right now in baseball, Kyle? Yeah, well, I think you said it and you led this off pretty much perfectly. It is the Yankees right now. And mm-hmm. that's not just to say it's them because of the record. I mean, they're showing it night in, night out, whether they're at home or on the road. You know, this past week, they've kind of, been around that 500 benchmark, but you know, I, mean, I think leading up to this point, they've just been absolutely electric with their lineup, that pitching staff, they've been, you know, kind of seemingly building these past couple seasons leading up to this point. So I think, you know, it, it works perfectly that introduction that you gave with the Yankees and our top five teams in baseball rankings right now. I put the Yankees at number one for sure. Um, I think in terms of the rest of my rankings here, I, I would probably put the Mets at number two. And the Mets have done a spectacular job so far this season. You know, like you mentioned, the quarterway point, similar to the Yankees within the past week or so, they're around that 500 mark, but fantastic start to their season. I think it's even more impressive for them, you know, with the injuries they've had in their pitch and rotation, which we've talked about in past episodes last week. We kind of got into that in the week before too, but, um, 
I think that's really impressive for them to, you know, produce both on the mount at the plate the way they have, um, despite the injuries to their stars. So I put them at number two um, with a 29-17 record. And I think a really big surprise as well has been the Brewers. I'm going to put them at number three. And similar record to the Mets, they're 29-16. But, you know, this past week, they've really had a really good spell. I think last week we saw Christian Yelich almost, I think he got the cycle as well. So that's really (laughs) exciting for them to see him, you know, kind of play up to the MVP kind of caliber that, you know, we've established for him, you know, within these past couple seasons being the MVP. I mean, really important for him to get going. I think that team, you know, they're in a really good spot because they have a solid pitching staff as well. Despite injuries, they're able to get through that. I mean, obviously today, winning on the road at St. Louis is never easy. Um, so that pretty much just goes ahead to prove that this team is is absolutely legit. And I, I'm really impressed with what they've been able to do so far this season. I mean, I don't think many people really expected them to be atop of their division the way that they are right now, four and a half games ahead of the Cardinals. So that's a pretty big deal for them. So I put them at number three. Um... The rest of this list was really tough because there are a lot of really good teams as well in this league, and a lot of these teams have similar records. Um, But I'm going to go from the perspective of the long run here. It's tough to put the Twins in that conversation because, sure, they are leading the AL Central, like we mentioned before. The White Sox are only a game above 500 right now, so they're on top of that division by four games. I don't know how long that's going to last, but... With that being said, I would probably put the Astros at four right now and the Dodgers at five because like we brought up last week, the Astros have been getting hot. They've really begun to find their rhythm at the plate. They kind of struggled with that at the beginning of the season and their lineup has been pretty much what we've expected them to be this whole way so far. And like I mentioned before, they are still atop the AL West, so um, being two games ahead, especially over this Angels team that is currently losing um, at the after six innings to the Blue Jays, a big series this weekend for the Angels, and a big month just in general, and I think this is a good opportunity for the Astros to really b- take a big jump over the Angels, potentially, because when you consider what the Angels are going to have to deal with these next couple weeks, obviously, long series at home, against the Blue Jays, you got the Yankees on the road, Phillies on the road, Red Sox back at home, Mets, I mean, Dodgers after that. This is an insane schedule for this Angels team heading forward. So the Astros, I think what they've been able to do within the month of May, that can carry on to the next month as well. And then the Dodgers, I mean, I don't really know what I need to say about this team. This is a team that is expected to be atop the NL West for the season. Alongside the Padres, obviously, they've been faring pretty well themselves. And it was close between those two. But, man, this Dodgers lineup, they find a way to win. And they prove it night in and night out. And so I think they're going to be able to keep it rolling at least for, you know, the next couple months and throughout the season. So I put them at number five as well. So that's my list of my top five rankings right now. I know yours might be a little bit different. And I think the league in general to this point has been pretty fair in terms of teams who excel in their own divisions. I mean, we don't really have a standout in terms of record beside the Yankees. I mean, they're three games ahead of everyone else with 29 wins, but 
I think this is going to be an MLB season that is really going to prove that it's competitive. This is a competitive league, and I, I think it's going to be fantastic for the growth of the game. You mentioned that competition, Kai. I think a big part is that extra wild card spot yeah. that we talked about, you know, last month, and how that's going to play a part. We saw that in the NFL uh, this past season. How that extra playoff spot affected a team like that last game between the Las Vegas Raiders and the Los Angeles Chargers where that game came down to who was going to get the playoffs and it also affected the Pittsburgh Steelers but my top five I got the Yankees at one what they've been able to do uh, and Giancarlo Stan's got 17 home runs Um, Aaron Judge has another dozen home runs Uh, Rizzo has home runs I mean, it's just the way that ballpark set up. It just favors that team. You can end up pop fly to right field, and it's it goes into the seats, and that's just um, the Yankees using that to their advantage. Um, number two for me, I have the Dodgers here. The starting pitching and yeah. that lineup is just is you know it's really tough to beat on certain days. You know, obviously, yesterday against the Nationals, you know you're gonna get those days offensively where. You don't get to muster much offense, but this Dodgers team, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, um, you know, even though Clayton Kershaw's on the IL, you still have these other pitchers that um, that are key, and uh, whether that's Julio Arias, whether it's Walker Bueller, Tyler Anderson the other night going, uh, what are you, seven innings? He went no hit, per- like six innings of perfect baseball. Yeah. Um, so I got the Dodgers at two. I have the Astros at three. Like you mentioned, Kyle, what they've been able to do, uh, right. Framber Valdez, um, Christian Javier coming in, um, you know, Zach Grinke, uh, not Zach Grinke, that was last year, but the, the starting pitching. And this team has really stepped up in the ap- absence of Carlos Correa, and that's helped this Astros team uh, be in first place so far in ALS thus far. Number four, I've got the Padres here, and the key thing yeah. for the Padres has been Starting pitching, uh, getting the ball to Taylor Rogers, the closer who they traded just before opening day, as well as Manny Machado in that uh, leading that offense. You think about that starting pitching. At one point we saw last week, seven different Padres in that starting rotation. Mike Clevenger went on the aisle, which we'll get to in a little bit. But you think about you Darvish, you uh, Darvish, Sean Manaya. Joe Musgrove and at the back end you got Mackenzie Gore you've got Nick Martinez you've got Blake Snell coming back and think about that offense Manny Machado he's having one of those type of seasons um, that resonate with some of the likes of what Tony Gwynn's been able to do and that's been key for this Padres team to be just a game and a half back of the Dodgers and that National League West and my number five team I'm going to go with the Mets here and I think it's the key is for them is just their offense. Francisco Lindor is starting to hit the ball. Um, it's not like what we saw last year from him. Uh, you got Peter Alonso. You got the additions that they got, especially with Mark Cannon, what he's been able to do. And so their offense has been able to find success at the plate, especially now where they find themselves seven and a, with a seven-and-a-half game lead over both the Braves and the Phillies in the National League East, just outside of my top five were the Angels and the Twins. Um, and the I did not have the Brewers within my top five slash top seven. And that's 
primarily because they've only played nine games against teams above 500, yeah. um, including tonight's win. Um, and they're just five and four. And I feel like that's not enough uh, from this Bears team um, right. so far this year. Yeah, honestly, on my list, if I had a number six, it'd probably be San Diego. So mm-hmm. that just goes to show how you know, close it's been between a lot of these teams, our list being pretty similar with, you know, same teams, just different numbers. And with number one, you know, the consensus between us being the Yankees, I mean, that's pretty obvious, but we still got a lot of baseball left. And I I think, you know, before the all-star break, it'll definitely be interesting to see if other teams kind of flip-flop between the standings here. So a lot to watch there. And then, you talking about the Padres and going off that point, obviously, Brevin, um, a big part of this week's news with the team um, to transition here has kind of been extending Joe Musgrove. And you talked about Mike Clevenger, another pitch, pitcher on that stop. We'll get to that in a second. But there was a report that Joe Musgrove was offered an extension by the Padres, ultimately didn't go through. Um, could you kind of take us through this? potential deal I mean what were kind of the reports that showed that the Padres were interested in extending Musgrove yeah you think about what Joe Musgrove's first off what he's been able to do uh, leads the major leagues in quality starts which means he goes at least six innings and gives up at least three runs and I think that's been the key for Joe Musgrove's success here thus far in 2022 and and this is a contract year for him he um, he, um, his contract ends, um, this year and, you know, it's, he's not just the only one, but it's also Sean Benai and Mike Clevenger's final year of their contracts. And so whether it's now or as we get closer into the winter, the Padres are going to have to debate about who they extend, who they bring back. Um, and I think Joe Musgrove, I think he's, He'll earn his way into a new contract. It may not be now. It could be in the next couple of months. It could just be during the offseason. But I think what some some reporters are saying, and it's just that feeling that as the season goes along and as Joe Musgrove pitches better, the higher the price is going to be. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's kind of what you should expect, you know, especially now that the extension didn't go through. Um, and with him performing the way that he has, like you mentioned, going six, seven innings, it seems pretty much every start he's had the season. It's been really impressive. Um, there was a report, according to the Athletic, that he turned down an eight-year extension worth around ninety million. So, not hundred percent sure if that those numbers are true there, but um, it is indicative of the Padres' ambitions or previous ambitions to at least extend him here and then as Brevin mentioned earlier here in the show Mike Clevenger obviously he's been dealing with injury issues so far this season we had Reese Savoy on just a few weeks ago who talked about his start in single A the Padres affiliate up in Lake Elsinore and now we see Clevenger back on the IL here just a few weeks later. Yeah, this is just for cautionary purposes. Um, and this is the bonus of having seven or six quality starting pitchers um, with Mike Clevenger out. on the. Uh, he was put on the 15-day IL back on Saturday with a 
right tricep strain while the team is in San Francisco. He pitched really well in his second start back up in Philly. Um, went above, I think he entered, he started the sixth inning um, in Philadelphia. And then I guess he might have been, he might have felt a little bit of tricep pain. So because of that, the Padres put him on the injured list. Um, but that's the benefit of having, you know, guys, as we mentioned, Mackenzie Gore and Nick Martinez behind Muscaro, Minaya, and uh, Darvish within that rotation. So, you know, as we mentioned over the last couple of weeks, the starting a good problem to have. And this is the, the bonus that you get um, if someone goes on the aisle. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of a thing we've been talking throughout this whole offseason, all the mm-hmm. moves that were made, the trades, free agent signings, and then obviously Mackenzie Gore getting called up. The Padres, it just seems like they were prepared for this. And this is mm-hmm. obviously another setback in which they have experienced so far this whole season with Clevenger, not only the second time, but also Tatis, not even related to the pitching staff. So mm-hmm. I think the Padres' yep. depth is you know, crucial to their success, what it has been so far, mm-hmm. what it will be in the future. So that'll definitely be something to watch in the future as well. Within these next couple of weeks, again, he's on the 15-day aisle with the right tricep strain. And a bright spot for the Padres, though, you know, regardless of injury, regardless of contract situations that haven't been able to get figured out to this point, we have the MVP candidate in San Diego right now. His name is Manny Machado, and he's been putting up <laughs> he's been putting up astronomical numbers so far. Yeah, he's been he's been really well for this Padres team, hitting 361 as enter today's off day. Um, the Padres have had eight eight home runs, 60 hits. Um, you know, they finished. The, I think it was the month of April or was 40 games into the season with the second best batting average in team history behind Tony Gwynn's um, batting average that he had back in 1994 when he hit 94 for the strike ended that season. But you think about what Manny's been able to do and we see the numbers offensively, but also defensively. He only has just one, I'm pretty sure it's just one error on the season. And that's been a crucial part to him just Staying the way he is, the player that he is that's going to be durable, who's, as you mentioned, as um, people have said, who's played in the most games since 2015 uh, when he was with the Orioles. And uh, Manny's just finding his groove here, uh, here in 2022. And I think that's really what's most important for this Padres team. Obviously, this is his fourth season donning, you know, the brown, yellow, and white at this point. And he is... I think poised to make that next step in his career, obviously being, I think, what is he, 29 years old to this point? I mean, he still has a lot of years left in him. Um, I mean, it's crazy to see the numbers that he's been able to put up so far for this team. And I think, you know, obviously him being a sole reason why the Padres are so close to the Dodgers, you know, at this point of the season, um, they're really going to need that production, even when Tatis comes back. Um, the lineup hasn't necessarily been fantastic, you know, collectively. We've seen him and Hosmer pretty much lead the way so far, but I think this is great to see. This is pretty much everything that Padres fans expected out of him. Like, this is the the Manny Machado that you anticipated on getting when you signed him to that big deal just a few years back. So 
Um, really great to see for the Padres, most most definitely. Yeah, you think about his defense. I'm gonna add on here that defense. What he's been able to do. He had. Yeah. He. Well, this was yesterday on Wednesday uh, against against the Brewers. Fielded a ground ball to his left glove side, spun through to Jake Cronenworth to start a five-four-three double play, and um, Tony Gwynn Jr. hung a star is what Jerry Coleman used to do while he was radio broadcasting the Padres. And Starks came out for that play that he made, and go find that play on Twitter for sure. And that's yeah. been key, you know, that defense. Whether and it's the coaching, as we've mentioned, um, you know. It's Matt Williams, the third base coach, who also does the infield. It's it's the vibe that manager Bob Melvin sets off to this team, in it, as well as uh, to players such as Manny Machado, and that's been a huge bright spot for this team. Absolutely. Holding players to that standard that you not only need to produce at the plate, but you need to be able to back up your pitchers and help them out. I think that's really important. He is obviously the cornerstone of the Padres team right now. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see him in the future as well. But another MVP just up the road of an Anaheim that we've kind of been tracking this past week now is Mike Trout. And switching to the Angels here in a sense, Mike Trout has been spectacular this season as well. MVP candidate for the Angels, just like Manny Machado for the Padres. He scored his 1,000th career run last Saturday, and that joins Garrett Anderson at 1,024 runs, um, most in the Angels' history, obviously. Um, Great to see for Mike Trout, having the longevity that he's had wearing the Angels' uniform almost more than 10 years, actually, to this point, and he's a third player in MLB history with at least 1,000 runs, 300-plus home runs, and 200-plus stolen bases, by his age 30 season, that joins Willie Mays and A-Rod as the only others to do it. I mean, when you look at this guy night in, night out, Brevin, you see him play, the way he competes, his preparation. What do you think kind of stands out about Trout in order for him to be as successful as he is? I mean, a thousand runs, he's only really been hurt a couple times throughout his career, and that's even more impressive. I think the thing for Mike Trout this year is how much he's going to bounce back after last year, as you mentioned, that calf injury that yeah. he suffered, that, uh, that that nagging calf injury that what lasted from about this point last year to the end of the season. And I think it's all about how well he's able to bounce back from that. And I think that's the key thing uh, about Mike Trout. So he's his mindset set is to be able to play 130 140 150 games here in 2022 and get back to that MVP type of form that this year he's got a battle with his teammate in Shohei Otani absolutely I mean Shohei Otani tonight not the best performance from him gave up three runs in the third inning but then again you see him strike out the side just two innings later so I mean like you mentioned, that's just the kind of competitive nature of this team that has been so important year-round. And for you know, Trout to have a sort of running mate in Shohei Otani, I think is really important for him, too, because last season 
that's what we, we were really expecting to see. Trout and Shohei Otani. I mean, this is the show. And then for Trout to be out as long as he did, who knows if he was actually hurt for the duration of the season or if they just kept him out because of their record and, you know, the position they were to not make the playoffs. But now we're starting to see that this season. And I think with the Angels record as it is, the bolstered pitching rotation and staff just in general in the offseason, I think it's really important for them. And like we mentioned earlier in the show, they're only two games back of the Astros at this point. It goes to show Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, they've been putting up the numbers that the Angels need them to do in order to stay competitive. We've we, we mentioned Manny Machado. We mentioned Mike Trout. They're in the top five. I'm going to go over these categories here. They're, they're one, two in war uh, among all players. They're one, two in war by, um, amongst position players. Um, main, uh, Machado's their top two in offensive war. Yeah. Um, batting average, uh, Trout's not really there, but he's, I'm pretty sure he's hitting over 300. Um, uh, Machado and Trout are top four in on-base percentage. Um, and so it just goes on about how good these two players are uh, here in Southern California. Um, and you see the, just the output that both of these guys, especially what Mike Trout's been able to do as we talk about the Angels, another top six in total bases for both these two players um, and what they've been able to do so far here in 2022. Yeah, obviously big ambitions for the Angels. Being near the top of that ALS, like we brought up before, um, I think leading the wild card race to this point, too, as well. They're in first in that spot. And I think that's what's mo- most important for this team. Make the playoffs. They don't necessarily have to make a deep run. Obviously, that's what you want with two MVPs on your team. But I think the state with the state of this team, how things have gone these past few years, you're not necessarily expecting them to make a deep run in the postseason, but you expect them to make it because Shohei Otani has even said, if I'm going to stay here, we have to win. So in a sense, it is now or never for this Angels team, and they're going to need that production from Trout and Otani and Rendon, Walsh, others as this season continues. So we'll see if that actually ends up happening because – this is, this is now or never for this Angels team. Obviously, uh-huh. like I said before, you're not expected to make a deep run because you got the Yankees, for example, as competition. You got the Astros to get past potentially as well. But, man, this is going to be a heck of a season for this Angels team regardless uh-huh. because I think, you know, if they're not able to end up in a wild card spot, I mean, it's just an absolute disaster going forward. Uh-huh. So. This is a really telling time for this team. And as I mentioned before, in bringing up their opponents over the next, the course of the next month, this is now or never for this team. I think, too, to hop on that point, as well as talking about Mike Trout, Mike Trout hasn't, we talked about, you know, as we talked about in the past about these Hall of Fame players and how, how the playoffs are, quote unquote, extra credit, as we mentioned with Kurt Schilling um, back in January. You know, Mike Trout hasn't played that many playoff games. No. And so I think, too, this Angels team, they want to get to the playoffs for Mike Trout. They want to get him to the World Series, just like how 
the Padres wanted to get Tony Gwynn into the World Series uh, in 98. Yeah. And, you know, and with Shohei Otani nearing the end of his contract, that's also in the mix as well of not just the Hall of Fame expectation for Mike Trout, but to keep Shohei Otani long-term for this Angels organization. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's no doubt about that. I mean, Trout, he's been locked up. But on the other hand, like you said, there's Otani. He's in that contract mm-hmm. situation. And they want to prove to him that he is worthy of staying in Anaheim in order to win. So, man, I think this is really important for this team. Just not only this season, but this upcoming month. Because the opponents are the best of the best. I mean, this is, this is yep. playoff-level baseball at this point. And so you get your best performances out there. And so Shohei tonight, obviously giving up four. Don't like to see that out of him, but he just had one bad inning. He bounced back. I mean, he showed that, you know, he's still one of the best of the game. And when you think of Hall of Fame caliber players, Mike Trout is going to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he, like you said, he hasn't had postseason success, but he's showed that he's the best in the regular season. He is actually the best time and time again. And so I think we need to see that from Shohei a little bit too. I mean, obviously with him being MVP, like he, the player that he is, you need to see a lot of, a lot of that out of him as well, because the inning that he had tonight where he gave up three runs, I mean, obviously it's a fluke that that's going to happen. It's a, gets the best of you, but man, the angels definitely need to at least split the series with the blue Jays, here this weekend and I think you know coming up in the future you know the Dodgers I think that's an important series the freeway series is always huge for this team I mean you got to find a way to get at least two out of three in that and I think that's the goal just approach every game just one game at a time and Joe Madden he's one of the best in the game and he can definitely get it done all right we're going to move on to fair or foul and this is kind of on a a lighter type of connotation. Um, but over the last week, we've seen position players pitch, not just Shohei Otani, but these non-traditional position players. I'm talking about, we see Yadier Molina pitching 18 to four game where they're out. We saw Albert Pujols throw on Sunday night baseball. We've seen Brett Phillips throw in the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, we saw Andrew Elton Simmons. We saw Luis Garcia, uh, Luis Gonzalez from the San Francisco Giants for back-to-back days. And, Kyle, do you like these position players pitching? Obviously, it was a rule change that was put into effect this year that a non-pitcher, since now we have roster limitation on pitchers now, um, non-pitchers can enter game when a team is leading or trailing by six runs. So, Kyle, do you like these uh, non, uh, non-rostered non uh, players coming into pitch, non-rostered position players coming into pitch? Yeah, personally, um, we've seen a game, you know, earlier in the season, Phillies-Mets, in which, you know, they came back, what was it, seven or eight runs down, we talked about this in a previous episode, to come back and win the game. But usually, that doesn't happen. So, I mean, what do you do? You don't want to waste the bullpen guy. You don't want to, you know, exert his energy and potentially others as well by that point. So, I think the rule of, you know what the MLB has established with there being, you know, that's that rule that they just implemented with 
trailing or leading by six runs. I think that's really important because, you know, heading forward, we're going to see a lot more position players pitching. And to be honest with you, I have not watched that much baseball this year. I have typically watched the Angels because I support them. That's a team I'm interested in. But other than that, I really only watch games if they're on, like, prime time or if I just so happen to be nothing else and I just am like, okay, I'll turn this game on. And with those in- instances that you brought up, in two of those four games, obviously you brought up the Yachty situation, Google, mm-hmm. Phillips, and Anderson Simmons. I watched the Phillips game because that was the Detmers no-hitter. And then yep. Anderson Simmons, his pitching, that happened today. Yep. And that was one of the most interesting games I've ever seen. Cubs against Reds. I was watching that game, and I watched, obviously, the Detmers no-hitter and the game that mm-hmm. Phillips was pitching in. Like I said, I don't watch that much baseball. That's two out of four games that you mentioned in which we've had position players in. And in those games, obviously, the stats are skewed. The hitters are going to have the clear advantage. But I think regardless of that, it's fine because – the team that's trailing, which is typically the team that uses the position player, they're going to end up losing. So, I mean, obviously, like I mentioned at the beginning of this whole rant, you're not going to exert your energy on a bullpen pitcher or any kind of other pitcher on your team because mm-hmm. you're not anticipating on winning the game. So why should I continue trying? And to bring it back to the whole gamesmanship thing, it doesn't apply there. You're not going to win. So – I mean, mm-hmm. there's a there's a yep. very slim chance that you do, mm-hmm. like I said, which we've seen earlier this season with the Mets. But typically, I understand this is a long season. You're not going to put in one of your better bullpen pitchers if you use a worse pitcher the night before if you mm-hmm. have, like, maybe a five-run lead, you know? So yep. it just mm-hmm. – I understand this role. This is fair. And – I think you agree with me in the, in this case because ultimately it doesn't really matter that much. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I um I like what I've been seeing because basically your point is you're and Giants manager Gabe Kapler he said it's it's basically that you're saving your bullpen for that upcoming game that upcoming series that you have to face especially especially if that's a good team that you're going to be facing. And you heard after Albert Pujols pitched on Sunday Night Baseball in his interview, he said, "We had I'm I'm not quoting this for sure, so don't come back at me and say I said this wrong." But <laughs> basically, what Albert Pujols said is, "We have to save our bullpen when we go to New York and face the Mets." Obviously, we know what have happened between the Cardinals and the Mets this year. And what was the score that game? It was like it was like eighteen to four or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So like- fifteen to six. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter. And then also, you know, in these instances, for example, I'll bring back the Detmers no hitter because yep. that's a notable game within the season. And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. saw that or at least the highlights of it. And a big highlight of the game that people saw, if not on TV, but on social media, was the Anthony Rendon, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> left-handed mm-hmm. home. He's in from the yep. left, left stance. And, I mean – just blast it out over the right field wall. That, yeah. That's a rare occasion. in. Mm-hmm. in yeah, baseball, that's part of my second sport. point. Mm-hmm. There yeah. you go. So, sorry, mm-hmm. I, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. but No, like, no that's like that. fine. Mm-hmm. 
it, it's because, fun. That's what's making mm-hmm. baseball fun right there. Yeah, you never know. The best quote within this game is you never know what you're going to see at the ballpark. And for those fans that stayed at Bush Stadium in a 15-2 to two ball game or whatever that score was, they got to see Albert Pujols pitching a game. A, a potential Hall of Famer, a potential first ballot Hall of Famer, whatever you want to say. Um, people got to see Albert Pujols pitching a game. And it was his first career appearance. And people got to see that he's human and gave up a three-run homer. And then you see the following week, uh-huh, with Yadier Molina. And that that's cool because, like, no one would ever expect something like that to happen. Like, never in a million years. Mm-hmm. But then there's a situation like that. Oh, they're down, what, like 14 runs or whatever. Let's oh, they they were both – for both uh, Yadier Molina and for Pools, they were up by, like, 15 runs. Yeah, there you go. So you're like, oh, let's let's put Albert in or, or let's put uh-huh. Yadier in. And – like you said, when you go to a ball game, you never know what you're going to see. And that's what makes baseball enjoyable. You truly never know what you're going to see. You see a Detmers no-hitter. Like, for yes. example, I mm-hmm. was at the combined no-hitter after uh, Tyler Skaggs died. That was one of the best mm-hmm. games I've ever been to. And I think that will maybe forever be one of the best games I've ever been to. So there's obviously instances like that where it's just like you would never expect it, but it's so special. And I think on that list too, I think one of the best games I've ever been to as well was the trash can game at Angel Stadium. <laughs> back in the stadium, I was there in right field, mm-hmm. and man, just the fan intera- interaction of that game and mm-hmm. just in general, that's what makes baseball mm-hmm. so incredible, just so amazing to follow. Yeah, and going from the Brett Phillips perspective from that Reed Detmers no-hitter game, we think about some of these type of players who have these these unique personalities, and we think about Brett Phillips as one of the funniest players in this game. You know, we think about everything that happened, all the storylines that happened within that Reed Detmers home run. You think about from a Tampa Bay race perspective that one of their funniest players on their team, one of the funniest players in baseball is pitching. And, and it gets to nickname us, nickname uh, himself now as a two-way star, hitting, going up against guys like Shohei Otani and Anthony Rendon. Like, exactly. He would mm-hmm. be the player on the race yep. to end up in mm-hmm. that situation. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. It brings the human aspect back into sports as well. Like, mm-hmm. that, that is, you know, Revan, this is why we do what we do as journalists. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. we just – Love that sort of aspect of the game that just makes it like so special. Like, yeah. okay, like this is so random. Like that would happen. Like Yadier Merlina is, is pitching right now. Like, you know, I'm at the game. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. That's why baseball is so special. I mean, yeah. in football, you have other guys throw the football sometimes, but like mm-hmm. you're, you're usually not going to see like a long snapper ever pass a football. The, the Miami you know? miracle. I mean, all those laterals to win that game against New England. I mean, obviously, yeah, there there are, like, fun or special moments like mm-hmm. that in other sports, but, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, in, in a blowout, like, there's nothing that people competing in other sports do that make it similar to baseball. It, it's not that fun. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. like, if there's a – like, for example, I'll, I'll bring the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 48. The Broncos against the Seahawks, it's 43-8 to eight in that game. Broncos, Seahawks, 
they don't bring in the punter as the quarterback in that instance. You know, I mean, obviously they're going to keep the quarterback or put in the backup. Like they're not going to do something intriguing or bring some fun aspect to that game Mm -hmm. instance, but in baseball, that's what you get. Mm -hmm. And two, uh, you see both dugouts all enjoying what's going on on the field because it's you really see it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. So. I'm gonna go off on a quick tangent, Cal, because it relates to what we're talking about. But when I was playing, I think it was one of the first travel ball teams I was playing. I wasn't I wasn't pitched a lot. I didn't pitch a lot, but my coach said, "All right, Brevin, you're the 2020 guy." Kyle, you know what that meant? No. If we're up by 20 runs or we're down by 20 runs, Brevin, you're going to pitch. You're going to be in? Yeah. <laughs> it never happened, though. You know what? I'll, I'll compare that to my situation in high school football. So mm-hmm. big Mike, Michael McNerney, shout out to him if he's listening to this. I don't know if he is, but he was my guard. So he was next to me. Um, he was my left guard. Big Mike, he's called that for a reason, right? He's like 300 plus pounds. Like he will absolutely run anyone over on a football field. So my coach at the time is like, Mike, you know what? It's homecoming. We're supposed to win this game. If we end up in a goal line situation on the one, two or three yard line, we're going to put you in as fullback. And then he looked at me and he said, and if Mike doesn't score, you're going to be the fullback. So I was like, obviously, I'm going to try my best for Mike to get in the end zone. But at the same time, I kind of want to score. I want to play fullback. Mm-hmm. Honestly, one of the mm-hmm. best plays in football. Ultimately, he ends up scoring on a scary. Yep. And I don't get my chance because we end up in another situation on the field later in the game where we're on the goal line. I said, Coach, can I, can I go in at fullback now? And he's like, no, we already did it once with the lineman. So I wasn't able to have my moment. So you know what? If I'm playing baseball and if I asked my coach to pitch in a blowout, I probably would have had that opportunity to pitch. So I'm forever salty about that moment. I never got to score a touchdown in high school football. But, I mean, obviously there are fun moments like that in every sport. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm trying to say that's mm-hmm. the point. And we're going to talk a little bit about that you know, coming up with the match. Mm -hmm. We're going to take, before we get to the match, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about the match. When we come back, we're going to talk. We may talk some fantasy football, depending how we're doing on time. We're going to get to the NBA as well. The Warriors clinching about an hour ago um, here as we are recording this podcast. They clinch spot in the NBA finals beginning next week. We're also going to talk about, uh, we're going to do some trivia as we conclude the 50th episode, uh, as we conclude part one of the 50th episode here on Down the Line.
What's up, everyone, and welcome back to this episode of Down the Line. I am Kyle Betts, joined by my co-host, Brevin Honda. It is Thursday, May 26th. We are currently recording this at around 9.15 p.m., and this is the second half of episode 50. We got into some MLB news with Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson, that situation occurring this past weekend. We ranked our top five teams in the MLB as well. We got into some Padres, Angels, and did some Faro foul with position players pitching. And now we are going to talk about some golf as we kind of previewed within our last segment, the match, which is happening this upcoming week at the Wind Golf Course in Las Vegas. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, obviously, the quarterback showdown between them and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, um, they're teaming up. And this should obviously be an intriguing matchup here, as it is every year. Um, I think this should be a little bit more interesting because now we have essentially the old heads against the top guns in the in the mm-hmm. new. Yeah, this is Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers who have both played in previous versions of the match um tom brady who has been paired up with phil mickelson in the past aaron Rodgers is uh was played in the last version of the match um he's going up against patrick mahomes and josh allen patrick mahomes uh has played over the last few years in the american century championship that celebrity golf tournament um and i think aaron Rodgers has played that event as well um and he's going up against Josh Allen, who competed in the um, the Pro-Am at Pebble Beach earlier this year. I can't oh, wow. remember who he played with. but So there's some pretty good golf experience among these four golfers um, this in this match. Yeah, I think, you know, this is obviously an annual experience that's happening at the beginning of every summer, it seems like, you know. NFL players contending against each other in a golf match. Typically, it's the quarterbacks, as you mentioned. And, I mean, what are you expecting this year? Is there a different format to this kind of match this this time around? I mean, is there anything different? Because, to me, it just seems like, you know, it's the veterans in Brady and Rodgers against the younger guys and Allen in the homes. Is there any other storyline kind of besides that? Not really. Um, so this is the second time the match is being played at the Wynn Golf Club. It was also played when Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Koepka faced off um, last year. Um, and then the match format, it's going to be 12 holes on the course in match play. Um, and the pair that finishes with the lowest number of combined strokes wins that hole so for example if tom brady and aaron Rodgers combine on a par four to score uh let's say they score par and then patrick mahomes and josh allen get a birdie and get three mahomes and allen will win that hole and so they'll play uh they'll play alternate shots so they'll one person will hit the tee shot second person will hit the approach shot and then they'll just go back and forth uh, until uh one player makes that uh makes that putt Okay. Yeah, that definitely clears it up there. Um, so it should be definitely interesting. This is the first time it's been held in Vegas, right? Second time. Okay, second time. Mm-hmm. Um, when was the last time it was there? 
It was when uh, Bryson DeChambeau and Briggs Kepka faced off. Oh, okay. So, mm-hmm. being a Raiders beat reporter, are you kind of expecting any Raiders to be there with the event being in Vegas? Like, I know we kind of talked about this before, but maybe like Derek Carr, Darren Waller. I don't know. Are you? Are you I hope so. Anyone? I hope there's some. I hope there's some aspect about that. Even maybe Devontae Adams shows up, former teammates of Aaron Rodgers. Um, another possibly could be. Um, I doubt it though, just because with OTAs going on and the gold for the Raiders, they, there might be an appearance, although you never know with TNT. There could be some surprise appearances from some people. Maybe it's like Derek Carr. How do you get on? Maybe it's like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers asking Derek Carr, how do you uh, get on Patrick Mahomes' shoes or something like that? Or something like that. How do you get? Yeah. Because the trash talking, it'll be through the roof in this in this match for sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that because – We've seen how good Brady and Rodgers are at trash talking, but we haven't really seen that much from Mahomes and Allen in that regard. So mm-hmm. I think that's going to be really fun to see as well. But yeah, going back to in terms of the Raiders players that could show up, I, I think you bring up a good point in Adams. Um, Darren Waller, like I brought up before, that was a name that came up. I think there's a chance he... He might just because, and we talked about this too. He's been around like recently. I always see him on social media at different like public sporting events. And this seems like the kind of typical event you'd see a guy of his caliber be at too. Mm -hmm. With his social media presence, um, with his notoriety as well. So I think that would definitely be interesting to see. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it should definitely be a great match to uh, follow. This is also. This is also the same Darmola that's on the sidelines for some Las Vegas aces of the WNBA as well. And so some pretty, um, I think the opportunity is there. It's just a matter of if the TNT, if TNT will take advantage of that um, come Wednesday. Yeah. So obviously, like you said, Wednesday is when it all begins June 1st and it should be fun to follow as it is every year. So uh, we'll definitely be talking about that next week as well. Looking forward to that. And with the rest of our episode, we're going to get into some NBA. And Brevin, this has definitely been an interesting conference finals period from both sides, the East and the West. And tonight we saw Golden State win their series against Dallas. Um, Celtics against the Heat has been one to watch as well with Boston being up 3-2 to two right now. But let's get into what just happened tonight with the three seed out of the Western Conference, the Warriors defeating the four seed, the Mavericks out of Dallas. Um, five games in the series. It was a 4-1. I mean, pretty straightforward kind of series you would expect from this Warriors team with Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and now sort of the newly introduced Flash Brother, Jordan Poole as well. And this team just really just seems to have it clicking. Yeah, and it goes back to this experience as you mentioned with those three and Draymond, Steph, and Clay. And it's it's all yeah. been that experience. And and because of that, they know how to close out games. And we saw that earlier tonight of how well this team's able to close out, even if Dallas goes on a 15-2 run or whatever that run was to 
in the third quarter. And that's been key for this Warriors team is that experience with those three on top of Andre Iguodala on the bench, he's been injured. And you can even put Kavon Looney on the mix. who has been with some of those championship teams over a few years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really important part of this team is the experience, like you mentioned, and also the new players too, as well. I mean, Jordan Poole, he's still young on this team, but he's still making a really big impact. Um, Damian Lee, you know, fulfilling his role at times when they need him to as well. Um, so it's been really important because they've established that dynasty, you know, even without Kevin Durant being there, Clay Thompson finally coming back from injury and Draymond and, you know, Thompson himself, Steph, all being on the court at the same time has just been so important because that's the best trio in the league. There's no doubt about that. And what they've been able to do in terms of their depth of the roster, I mean, they lost Gary Payton, which was pretty big at the time, but even in this series, they won 4-1. So at the time, when they lost him, we thought, okay, this is going to be a pretty big deal because, you know, he's a spectacular role player. He can play defense so well, but they've been able to fill in those holes elsewhere. So I think that's really important for this team. They're going to be tough to stop in the finals. And now we look forward to the Eastern Conference uh, result as well with Boston being up right now. Brevin, do you think that they're going to end up taking it? Because obviously they have the advantage right now, but um, Miami, I mean, if they're able to get Hero back, that could also shake some things up too. So what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I said this last week. I said Celtics and six. And here's why. You take, you're up 3-2 right now. You're going home to Boston. You're going home into TD to the garden. And this is where you want to have a closeout game. You're going to have the home court advantage in front of you. Um, and this is where Boston has to take advantage. And if Boston's able to hold down Miami to 80, 85 points is what they've done the last couple of games, then Boston should win this series in game once it starts sometime this weekend. Yeah, I agree. I think Boston's going to take this as well because of their defense. It's been stifling so far throughout this second half of the season, as we mentioned in previous episodes, this postseason so far as well. And like you said, if they're able to close things out here tomorrow, I think we might be able to get a Memorial Day Game 1 Finals, if not Tuesday. But tomorrow is really what it all comes down to for this Boston team heading forward. Um, we've seen the Heat perform well in this postseason so far, but injuries have kind of hindered them so far. And the Celtics really have a nice opportunity to do it. Game six tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Pacific time. Boston again up three to two, and they're the home team over the Heat. So um, we're going to see what happens in that game. I agree with you, Brevin, in terms of the winner of that game, I think the Celtics are going to end up playing in the finals as well. So um, we'll see what happens ultimately between those two teams. If they end up facing each other or if the Heat are able to end up making a run, we'll update you next week in our next episode and obviously give you further predictions of the finals. The key thing for the Warriors too is that now they get to rest their players. They could have um, Otto Porter come back. I'm not sure if he played tonight because um, I know he was out with a foot injury. I don't believe he um, did. 
and he probably didn't need to, to be quite honest, because yeah. with the way this team was scoring, um, you know, it was huge for this Warriors team to give him the rest that he needs as well as what every all the rest that he, because all the rest that this team needs because this is a Warriors team that's going to have to go on the road for the finals in which they've done before and in the times that they've had to start the, the NBA finals in Cleveland. Yeah, absolutely. So the end of this series should be one to follow because obviously the Heat can do anything with Jimmy Butler leading the way, but it is definitely a tall task for them being down 3-2 to this point. Um, we are currently expecting Warrior Celtics, me and Brevin at this time. So we're going to see what happens with that and if we are correct. But it has certainly been a good NBA playoffs so far. There have been a lot of blowouts, which has kind of put you know a damper on that in a sense. But for the most part, it's been a fun playoffs to watch. And we were able to do some game two props from last week in our last episode. Um, if you're interested, go back and listen to that. But we're going to recap that real quick here. The Warriors ended up winning game two. 126 to 117 and the spread was minus six and a half in that game in favor of the Warriors and I picked that Revan also picked the Warriors to cover as well so we were both correct and the margin was nine um did you kind of see that coming Revan was that a confident minus six and a half pick from you or, or what did you expect ultimately when I look back on that pick I think it was pretty confident because we're talking about Steph Curry we're talking about Draymond Green what Jordan Poole's been able to do this year uh that was a pretty confident pick and to the Warriors at home we know how good that home court home court advantage is inside Chase Center um and it's too because it's that first year inside Chase Center I think it even means more uh more this year rather than just you know, the seventh straight year in the playoffs inside Oracle Arena. Yeah, and Brevin, in the sense, if we did bet on this game, this would have been a really good one to bet on because it would have, mm -hmm. was absolutely high scoring because yep. the total for points was 214 and a half heading into it. Brevin, you took the over, I took the over, and we were correct. The total points was 243. We've seen quite the opposite by the way, other games mm -hmm. in the series, which is even crazier. I mean, 243 in comparison to, you know, even two nights ago, even tonight. I mean, crazy game to bet on if you were to do so. And same goes for Luka Doncic because the 31 and a half point total that he had, again, Brevin, we both took the over there. Mm -hmm. He dropped 42. I mean, that's just what he does. And that's what he does, and that's been the whole focal point of this Dallas offense is putting the ball in Luka Doncic's hands so he can put the ball in the basket, he can um, pass the ball, he can rebound the ball, he can get get this Dallas team offensive possessions as we've seen during the series. Yeah, and he absolutely did. He got the ball to his teammate, Jalen Brunson. Mm -hmm. The total for him was 19 and a half. Revin, you took the under. I took the I over. Take under. Mm -hmm. And this game, I mean, he kind of went off himself. He had 31, which we've seen him have half of that total on some nights and then 31 on other nights. I mean, it's yeah. mm -hmm. really scores and spurts sometimes, it really seems like, don't you think? 
Yeah, and I think, and that goes into the whole this whole playoff run for the Mavericks and how well they're going to be able to, how well they uh, have been able to support Luka Doncic. Because there's sometimes, as we mentioned, whether it's Brunson, whether it's Dory Finney-Smith, who we're going to get to in a sec, whether it's Spencer Dinwiddie, we didn't know who was going to be the second scorer um, behind Luka Doncic. And in game two, it was Brunson, but it was not enough as the Warriors they came back. They were down 19 points at one point and came back to win by nine. Yeah. I'll tell you this next one that we're going to go over was especially tough for me because if I didn't get this one wrong, I would have been perfect. But mm-hmm. the half point total here got both of us, Brevin. It did. Brian Finney-Smith, his total was 10 and a half points. We both took the over, but of course he ends up scoring 10. Mm-hmm. I think you can call this a bad beat, wouldn't you take yeah, off? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in a game in which the Mavericks are putting up 117 points, you would expect yeah, mm-hmm. them to have at least 12, 13. At least. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, tough break there for both mm-hmm. of us, no mm-hmm. doubt. Moving mm-hmm. on, Curry, mm-hmm. and a half, too. Um, we took the over on that. Curry scored 32. Yep. So... I mean, thoughts on both of those picks, Brevin? Yeah, Steph Curry um, just continues to be the Steph Curry that we saw in MVP form just six years older. And now he uh, just earlier was named the Western Conference Finals MVP. Yeah, I mean, spectacular from Curry, as he always is. Clay Thompson, obviously great game from him tonight, but his total in game two, 20 and a half points. We both took the under in that and we were both right. We were both right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think we kind of projected him to score 15 as well. Um, Really good game from him tonight. We saw game seven clay come out in game or actually, no, I should say we saw game six clay come out in game five. Mm -hmm. So um, great game from him tonight, leading the warriors to the finals. And Jordan Poole as well had a solid game himself in game two as well, because his total was 16 and a half. We both took the over in that. He scored 23. And that's just part of the impact that he's had, whether it's off the bench, whether it's in a starting role this entire postseason under Steve Kerr and this Warriors team. Yeah, he is absolutely a spectacular young player in this league. He is... A month and a half older than me, actually, which is crazy because he is putting up astronomical numbers after being drafted in 2019. And that is just crazy to me. So um, definitely good to see him continue to improve in this league as well and being the finals this year. And then finally, our last pick in this game, um, definitely would have been tough for me if I bet on all these because I would have been a half a point off from winning. Otto Porter Jr., six and a half points. Brevin, we both took the over in this one. He dropped 11 in this game. Yeah, and that's just, you know, when you need when you need to find other players to score outside of Curry, outside of Clay, outside of Poole, you know, you got to resort to other players like Otto Jr. Or even if it's, again, I'm going to butcher his name, but Bielisa as well. I'm just going to say his last name. But, yeah. you know, you need other players to find a way to score. And when it comes to just needing seven points, that's just, when you think about it, it's just two baskets. And when he has that three-point threat within him, 
that that also comes into consideration, which he did hit it. I'm pretty sure he had a couple of threes in that game. Yeah, he absolutely did. And that depth on that Warriors team with Porter Jr. coming off the bench, Bielita, as you mentioned, Kaminga even at times, and then mm-hmm. Jordan Poole when he's coming off that bench role and, yep. in, in, as a sixth man. I mean, that's just what makes that team so lethal, that depth. And the role players that they have, they excel so well in their roles. So this is going to be a fun team to watch in the finals moving forward. Again, we will let you know our thoughts on the Eastern Conference finalists as well next week in our next episode. So stay tuned for that. But there is a lot to look forward to in the NBA in the finals. Whichever team out of the East is going to play the Warriors in that series. Mm-hmm. All right. We are going to move on. Our final portion of our show today is going to be trivia. Kyle's on the block. We are going to skip fantasy football. We're going to talk about that next week. So stay tuned for next week as we talk some fantasy football. But in this trivia, we're going to talk about some football. And as you know, Kyle, we're observing our 50th episode here as we're talking and one of the big things, um, we think about 50 being a big number, um, and we think about the NFL, how monumental it was for them to reach Super Bowl 50 when the Denver Broncos won. And so this is kind of goes hand in hand with what we did last week on Peyton Manning, and it kind of also goes a little bit hand in hand with what we did two weeks ago when I tested Kyle on his Angels knowledge from the 2002 uh, World Series championship roster, the uh, as we approach the 20th season since that, uh, since the Halos won the title, so Kyle kind of go a little hand in hand over the last two. And I love it, Kyle. I want you to, I want you to name the Denver Broncos Super Bowl 50, uh, 53 man roster. So writing uh, Peyton Manning. So I will give you that one. So you only got a couple, few more names, 52 names to come up with. 53 man roster. Oh, uh-huh. okay. I thought you were going to say, like, the starters on offense and defense. Okay. No. Um, Let's see. How many, how many players from this roster can you name? Man, that is a tough task, man. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Ronnie Hillman. Yep. There you go. He's one. A uh, Aztec there. Yep. Absolutely. Shout out to the Aztecs. Mm-hmm. Um, CJ Anderson as well. Let's see. He should be on this list. Yeah, going by alphabetical order. So, yep, he's on here with another running back alongside Ronnie Hillman. In terms of other running backs, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I might just hold off on that for now. Uh, was Andy Janovich on the scene? Andy Janovich. I'm not seeing him. Okay, yeah, he was probably drafted the year after, so. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, uh, Brandon McManus, for sure. Yep, the kicker. The kicker. His team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, man, the punter? Who was the punter back? It, it wasn't Riley Dixon, was it? Nope. No. Um, man, punter, I'm not going to get. Okay. Um... And I, I probably should be getting because Marquette King, I think, was the year after we won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna get that. But um, okay, let's go to um, 
tight end, I guess. Joel Dreesen. Um, say that name one more time. Joel Dreesen. No, he's not on here. Really? I don't think he's on here. Yeah. yeah. Um. Oh, on, Kyle Goat. Owen, oh, um, man, what's his last name? Owen, what's his name? From He was a Ravens tight end. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got you. I will give you that one. Okay. Owen Daniels. Owen Daniels. Uh-huh. Owen Daniels, yep. yep. He I'll give you that one. Back then. Um, Vernon Davis? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the tight end room there. Um, O-line might be a little rough for me. Yep. Uh, <laughs> was Ryan Clady on this team? I doubt he was. Say that again. Ryan Clady. Ryan Clady. Ryan Clady. I doubt he was. Left tackle. Uh, not seeing him. Nope. All right. Uh, Orlando Franklin. Franklin. Nope. Really? Uh, Matt Paradis. He was on this team for sure. Yep, there you go. He was the center. Yeah, center. Uh, Not uh, alum, Boise State. Dude, this is not going to go well, honestly, for the O-line. I should know this, too. Uh, I think Bulls drafted after this, too. Yeah, he definitely was. Um, Max Garcia. Yep, there you go. So that's another, another one. one. He was a rookie that year. Rookie out of Florida. Jeez. Um... Yeah, this is good. O-line, I, I might skip for now because I know I'm not close with the O-line, which is really bad. Uh-huh. I should definitely know the big boys. But, um, Wide receivers. Uh, Andre Caldwell. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Demarius Thomas. Yep. So he, he's on there as well. Um, Benny Fowler. Danny Fowler. Yep, there he is. So there, yeah, because I, uh-huh. I know that he caught Peyton Manning's uh, last pass. Uh-huh. Um, how about um, Cody Latimer was on this team? I'm pretty sure. Who was that again? Oh yeah, Cody Latimer. There Cody he is. Latimer. Uh huh. Dude, th- this wide receiver room was not good at all. It was. Bad. I don't know how they won this with this wide receiver room, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I, I can't think of anyone else. Okay. Um, already did running back, already did tight end, O line. The other Who are those tight ends that you said? You had um, Owen Daniels, Brennan Davis. Who else did you think of tight end? Um, was Virgil Green on this team? Yes, he was. There you oh, go. Oh, there you go. There's one. Um, nope. the other quarterbacks, uh, Brock Osweiler. Uh, yep. Uh, was there another one? ASU alum, by the way, too. Yeah, ASU alum. Uh, Simeon, was he the third string? Yes, he was. Here we go, let's go. Uh-huh. The, at the time, was a, a Ricky. Yeah. Out North of Northwestern. Western. Seventh round pick. Don't ask mm-hmm. me why I know that. Um... Defense, uh, David Bruton, was he on this team? 
no. Okay, so he was like a special teamer slash safety. Mm-hmm. So he must have just played in the Super Bowl 48 because he was a captain. Uh, mm-hmm. Darian Stewart? Uh, yep, there you go. Yeah, so he he's definitely one up there. Yep. Uh, dude, TJ Ward, he was the other safety. Yes, he was. I'm not going to get the backups because I'm pretty sure they were um, not good. Uh, corners. Um, uh, Champ Bailey, was he on this team? I doubt. I don't think he was. Champ Bailey. No. Um... Okay, so that was 48 as well. So he retired after that. Um, Bradley Roby. Bradley Roby. Yep. There you go. Uh, the other third was uh, Talib. Yep. Keep Talib. Mm-hmm. Um, I was methodically going through this position by position. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the only way I can do it, honestly. <laughs> uh, Kayvon Webster, I'm pretty sure he was on this team. Yes, he was. Another cornerback here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Corner. Right now, Kyle is in the mix of figuring out the Super Bowl 50 championship roster in our trivia yeah. segment here on Down the Line. All right, Kyle, who else you got? This is bad. Um, corner, I think I'm good. Safety, I can't get anything else, so I'm done with the secondary. Linebacker, uh, Danny Trevathan. Yep, there you go. Okay. It was an inside linebacker. Okay, that's uh-huh. good to know. Because yep. I think he left the year after. Yep. Um, Brandon Marshall. Yep. Um, go another Mountain West alum right there out of Nevada. Yeah. Uh, Todd Davis. Yep. Another inside linebacker. Okay. Um. Other linebackers. Inside linebackers. I don't think I can get any other inside linebackers to be honest. Um. All right, let's go with, uh, I guess, just the outside linebackers, so pass rushers. Vaughn. Yep, Vaughn Miller. Beware. Uh, Demarcus Ware. Jack Barrett. Yep. Let's see. Demarcus Uh, Ware, there you are. Derek Wolf. Derek Wolf, yep. Um... Sylvester Williams. Let me get to Shaq Bear first. Highlight. There you go. Yes, so slot. They call him Sly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sylvester Williams. Uh, There you go. uh, Malik Jackson. There you go. Um, Are you liking this up right now? No, no, no. I'm going. I'm going off memory because. All I, right, good. I'm going through because Malik Jackson, he scored uh-huh. that touchdown yep. off the strip sack that. Uh-huh. Okay. And then um, uh-huh. the 
that's all the positions except for oh did we have um one of the centers i don't know if he was a backup or anything no i i, I think the center i'm thinking of retired after 48. who was it um i can't remember his name The, the Super Bowl 48 center that we had. But um, the, speaking of centers, the last name I can think of, position that I didn't go... Oh, wait. um Was Trenton Holiday on this team? No. Okay, so so that was Super Bowl 48 too. Okay, the other special team I was going to say, Aaron Brewer. Long yep. slapper, San Diego State. Yeah. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to get that one. Yeah, so I remember that name, Ronnie Hillman, obviously. Uh-huh. I can't remember the third team running back, like I said before. That's it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it there. All right. Okay, good amount of names that you got. I'm going to go over the ones that you missed. So one of the backup centers was Sam Brenner. Yeah, no, don't, okay. don't, don't know him. Okay. <laughs> You missed out on a safety in Josh Bush. Yeah, I don't know him either, and honestly. The punter that you missed, Kyle, went to the same school as Peyton Manning at Tennessee. Now it was a Britton Colquitt. Okay, yeah. Now I I totally okay. forgot. I should not have forgotten him, but I did. Okay. The other center that you missed was James Ferentz. Uh, he was a first-year player out of Iowa when Broncos won. You uh, also okay. missed cornerback Lorenzo Doss. Okay. I remember him, but definitely would not have guessed him. Right. Uh, another cornerback I missed was Chris Harris, Jr. Oh, man. Strap Harris. I missed Strap Harris. Uh-huh. You also missed another Harris in Ryan Harris. Okay. Yeah, I probably, okay. probably should have gotten He was a tackle. Yeah, he he was like a rotational guy, but he's on Twitter mm-hmm. a lot, and I see him, so I should have guessed him. Okay. Uh, you missed safety Shiloh Keo. Oh man, I think that guy got in like legal trouble or something the year after. <laughs> like he he was never to be seen or heard from again. Um, <laughs> right. You missed uh you missed a guard in Evan Mathis. Yeah, I don't know. I don't okay. know. Who that is. Okay, you missed outside linebacker. Laurenti McRae, or you might have said his name and I must have missed it. No, I I probably should have got him, but no, I forgot. Okay. Um, uh, Let's see. All right. Uh, Guard Robert Miles Jr. No. Okay. I'm going to quickly go through the rest. Corey Nelson, inside linebacker. Uh, Okay. I forgot about him. Okay. Cornerback Taurine Nixon. No. Okay, uh, one of the wide receivers that you missed was Jordan Norwood. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was like a punt returner. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, another tackle that you missed was uh, Tyler Columbus. Oh, okay. Yeah, I should have got him. Uh-huh. He was a uh, Colorado Buffaloes alum. Yeah, that that's why they drafted him for sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you missed out on Shane Ray, outside linebacker. Oh. <sighs> Never forget him being taken in like round what two, I think. Kyle, you're gonna you're gonna shake your head on this one, but you missed another wide receiver. All right. 
You missed out on number 10, Emmanuel Sanders. Oh, yeah. That's a bad one. When uh-huh. Chris Harris, like, I should not have forgotten. Uh, I missed out on Tackle Michael Schofield mm-hmm. out of Michigan. Come. Okay. Yeah. He... Uh, missed out on DN Antonio Smith. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember him. Uh, there was another running back that you missed. Uh, Jawan Thompson. <laughs> oh, I, sh- I probably should have got him, but I forgot. Okay. So that was the third stringer that I forgot. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Two more players. That's, that's a name. That's a name. Uh-huh. Two more players that you missed were was guard Luis Vasquez of Texas Tech. Oh, okay. So that's who I was thinking of. Oh, no, no, okay. no. Okay. So I was thinking of him, but the center uh-huh. that I was thinking of, it just came back to me right now. Okay. Manny Ramirez. That's who Oh, I'm okay. Thinking. Okay. Yeah. He was and a center he... Super Bowl 48 who snapped it over mm-hmm. Peyton's head. <laughs> and then the one that you missed, the last one that you missed was defensive end Vance Walker. Oh, I don't, I don't really remember him, no. Out of Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. So let's see. So one, how many two, did I get? Like Four, five. Let me three, count this up right now real quick. Five. Four, five, six, seven, eight, ten. If I got 35, I'll take that. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Kyle, I have to give you some bad news. I counted 30. 34? I was going to say. 30. 30. 30 out of 53. Nope. And that includes the given of Peyton Manning. Yeah, I'll take that. Count. All right. Not that bad, but I mean... Considering I was expecting only the starters mm-hmm. when you first told me the prompt, then I was like, okay, I might have a chance here. But 30 out of 53, 56.6%, Kyle. Hey, it's I'm above 500, right? <laughs> now, Kyle, if you remember two weeks ago when you did your, when we went over the Angels 2002 roster, you got 14 out of 25, right? Yeah. Same percentage. Uh, oh, while getting this one too, out of thirty out of fifty-three. That just means that just means I I know my team's pretty even, <laughs> you know. Consistency. <laughs> I, I support my teams the same. There, mm-hmm. there, there's no one clear favorite. Yep. It's like mm-hmm. it's like it's like a dad and their if they if they have a son and a daughter, you know, you love both equally. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here on Down the Line for Kyle Betts. I'm Brevin Hunda. We thank you for tuning into this week's show here on Down the Line, our 50th episode. We talked some game two player uh, team and player props from last week's Warriors nine-point win over the Dallas Mavericks in game two as the Warriors won the series in five games, uh, four games to one, including a 120-110 victory yesterday or if you're listening to this on friday yesterday here on thursday evening 120 to 110 we also talked about the boston celtics and the miami heat as they take on as they face each other tomorrow night or friday night uh whenever you're listening to this uh, for game six if boston wins they win the series if not if miami wins they force game seven on sunday in miami we talked about uh, we talked about the match going on this week between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers going up against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in Las Vegas on Wednesday. We got into fair foul about position players pitching, not named Shohei Otani, so the likes of Yadier. We also talked about Mike Trout scoring his 1,000th career run last week. 
We got into some Padre baseball as well as the Josh Johnson situation with him and White Chicago White Sox infielder Tim Anderson. So that's going to do it for us here on Down the Line. Next week, we're going to get into some fantasy football. I did a mock draft, so we're going to go over that and we'll talk a little bit of fantasy football here um, as we're still a few months away from fantasy football draft season. So that's going to do it for us here on Down the Line. We thank you for tuning in and we hope you tune in next week to Down the Line.